Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi guys, Spanners here. Just a quick note before the show to say we struggled a little bit with the internet connection with Matthew Carter. You can hear everything he's saying. There's a little bit of darlicking. There's a little bit of a warble. And there's the odd bit where he dropped out and I had to edit it. So the cut might not be the cleanest you've ever heard, but the information and the content from Matthew Carter was at its usual high standard. So I appreciate that you will have to make the decision as to whether the content is worth putting up with that. It's certainly not terrible. I just wanted to say to you, I was aware of it. The option was between not doing the show, stopping the stream, or putting a little note at the front of the show to say, hey, this is what it is. The reason he had a little bit of a bad internet connection was because of a very happy thing. He has lost his study temporarily due to the arrival of a beautiful, bouncing, healthy baby girl that arrived earlier in the week. We're taking technical remedies to make sure that when he comes back with possibly Joe Saywood, he's going to sound crisp and clear. Anyway, I'll shut up now and let me from about an hour and a half ago... Go for it. Go on, Spanners, from an hour and a half ago. Press the button and say the things. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live at one. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. How are you doing? Thanks for tuning in to us. It's a weird time. But we are in the Sherry Zone, 8pm on a Sunday. So I'm not going to judge you if you're watching this live with the Sherry. You did wait till at least 8 o'clock, didn't you? Yeah, me too. I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Matt, do you wait till 8pm to enter the Sherry Zone? As I like to say, it's always 8pm somewhere. Yeah, I know you're fully on airport rules in your house. Yes, uh, it just, uh, the, the way things are going... It just seems like a good idea to relax the traditional rules for those occasional times where you're like, 
you know what? This day just needs to be evening right this second. Uh, but Matt, we're recording this during the virtual race that is going on. And uh, so we apologize to anyone who wanted wanted to catch this and the live stream and to also catch that. I am curious about it, but right now it's not jumping out to me as something I need to change my schedule around. I, I feel like I can just catch the best bits later. Yeah, and you can. Um, so the big news is they actually got Leclerc, Albin, Russell, Norris, and Latifi. And you're like, wow, that's good. And then they go, and Herbert. And you're like, well, okay. Uh, yeah. But as we've learned, it's not, they're not sat in a cockpit. They're not managing all of the things they normally manage. And, and let's understand that they, they're using the Formula One, the official Formula One game, not as simulation, which is a tiny bit important distinction. ABS is on, all the things are being managed automatically for the drivers, which I guess is sort of fair because normally they'd have an engineer telling them, you know, what to turn where. But by the same token, it's not really the contest of skill. It's more of a fun time. Yeah, I mean, they they don't seem to be competing. And from what I've seen of the practices and the warm-ups, it does seem like they're very much going for a personality-driven broadcast. They're going for banter, and they're not actually competing competitively. And now, if it turns out tonight that people are sharing online and on, on Twitter, and they say, wow, these guys really took it seriously, uh, and the standard was really high, I'd be more tempted. But to watch, you know, to, to tune in for 20-year-olds' bants, I'm not knocking that. That That is, you know, a decent offering. Just I don't think it's for me yet. Yeah, you know, that's to me, that's the most intriguing thing. Um, and not based on watching this particular thing, but watching one of the others. Uh, I watched uh, Lando's Twitch channel and he had driver chat and uh, Verstappen was on with him and it was at Spa and they were they were driving, I think, Formula 3 cars or something like that. And li- watching the two of them work together to get away from everybody and then crash into each other as they got near the end. And just it was hysterically funny and, and, and entertaining. Um, but but it was being taken reasonably seriously at the same time as an iRacing event, I think. And now iRacing, that is a sim. You're forced to your cockpit view. A lot of things uh, are not appealing to me about it. The fact that it is the game, I can understand from a branding point of view, they have to use their own game, but they're doing it with ABS. Uh, they're not forced to the cockpit view. Uh, so uh, it's not it's not really, to me, competitive racing. Also, the sim races in our group have assured me that the pace wasn't competitive in that game anyway. Uh, and Kyle <laughs> Kyle confidently said that he would have beaten the entire field based on those, those lap times last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of that, do we not have an event coming up? Friday. At 8 p.m., we will be racing at Okayama Circuit. The grid is full now, but you can watch us. Uh, look for Mist Apex Motorsport, and you can stream that live. We've got Brad. He'll likely be up the pointy end of the field. Me and Matt, somewhere in the midfield, if we're lucky. Kyle Power as well. And on the commentary, we'll have Chris Stevens and Chris Catman-Turner. Steve Amy will be pushing the buttons to make sure it all looks pretty. Uh, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed, with the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And there's not going to be any race reviews for a little while, but we are going to be here every Sunday, 8pm UK time, which is currently UTC plus one. I'm delighted to say that even with no F1 going, we are joined in the shed by 
former Lotus F1 CEO, Matthew Carter. Hello, Matthew. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you for tuning in to us and uh, and not watching the, the virtual race. Has any of the esports appealed to you yet? Uh, no, no, not yet. I tried to watch some of it the other day, but it um, the way it glitches and sometimes the cars disappear in and out of the screen just is, uh, is a little bit annoying. I mean, that can take you out of it if you're looking for uh, for it to be a, a replacement for real racing because the speed of light being what it is sometimes gets interrupted, unfortunately. But also the one I was the one I was watching was the one where did Johnny Herbert not just deliberately miss the whole first corner and didn't seem to get punished for it at all and ended up racing around in third or fourth for a period of time. Anyway, well, that sounds about right. And and I think this is uh you know that's the same as what I was saying earlier which is if I hear that they really are kind of taking it seriously and trying to compete uh then I would be more interested, but they they almost necessarily can't do that because the more seriously they take it the more their reputations are on the line. And why would you of put course. your reputation on the line for how well you play a video game with ABS and uh, and all the assists on? I think Racing Line as well, um, they can have it on as well. Uh, now, Mr. Carter, though, um, you've been on our show several times now. You've been in this, you're a shed regular, for which we thank you. Um, but we, we always tend to talk about your time in F1, right? But yep. you are always much more coy about your current connections in f1 and and how much you know and what a source of modern information you are and and actually i can i can tell because if we're messaging online i can tell when i've hit gold because you'll kind of be like oh just nipping out for a second oh right we'll get back to you later and i go ha, he knows stuff about the thing <laughs> was there a question in there somewhere i didn't really i didn't really pick up on that and this is exactly what he does this that <laughs> that proves that i'd struck gold which is why he is such a good source of information for the shed i mean we say team principle uh, which is what you ended up doing at Lotus. Uh, but actually, yep. you, you know, that wasn't your original role. You really were the, like the figurehead. You're the shady money man who like steps in. And, and when there's that dark organization with a strange name uh, and the, and you're, then you're the like the figurehead of that. Kind of, yes. Yeah. So I, 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 I came in as the uh, representative of one of the owners um, and I came in, my title was CEO. And um, and at the time um, we were supposed to have uh, we were supposed to have a, a team principal and uh, and Eric Boulier was the guy that was uh, was going to continue to do that job as he'd done for Lotus and he left within a week or so of me joining to go to McLaren and therefore I adopted the team principal and CEO role at the same time which is which is kind of, I mean it, it's it's terminology they're they're worded as similar and the same and and whatever I mean I think Toto is officially the CEO and team principal and so they they sort of band around different names I mean the team principal of Williams is still Frank Williams um, even though he doesn't attend any of the team principal's meetings or anything like that it's so it's it's titles and it's the way that people just approach the the structure of the team. So almost like the difference between kind of coach manager and director of football in a large club you can sort of pick and choose but it, it's really it's more to do with the job you're doing so if you're the guy on the pit wall and doing the press conferences we tend to call that you know team principal but you also had exactly a more kind of executive role so you saw like the process of buying the team from 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 the ground up really so yes. I, I mean so my question really is is like what is the motivation for a group like it was Janai, wasn't it i don't know if we're i don't know can we, can yeah, we I mean, genie, but yeah, can say however you need. Yeah. Genie. I mean, what's their motivation? Because they always say the way to become a millionaire is start as a billionaire and buy an F1 team. What, what's the motivation for, for Genie? 
Well, they, I mean, Genie actually came into it in a, in a slightly strange way because they came in after the, um, the crash in Singapore in 2008, I think it was when um, Nelson Piquet Jr. deliberately crashed and Alonso won the race. And when it, when that actually became public, Renault decided that they wanted to be disassociated with the sport in terms of, uh, in terms of them having an actual, they were going to continue to manufacture the engines, but they didn't want to have a team. So Genie, the, the two guys that own and run Genie are both, um, I guess you would call them gentleman racers. Um, but they were both very into their racing personally. And um, they knew Bernie Eccleston reasonably well. And if you remember back in those days, uh, what Bernie wanted happened and um, Bernie sort of introduced them to Renault and brokered the deal and they ended up buying the team for a very good price. Um, and then they ploughed lots of money into it. Um, and if you remember, that was when they had uh, they had Kimi Raikkonen for a while there and they won some races and they really sort of did very well for themselves. Um but then the finances caught up with them and, and I was sort of put in to help them to transition from being 100% owners to what they are now, which is they still own, I think they, they originally owned 15%. I think they're now own 10% of the Renault F1 team. Oh, and right. they, still have, they still, they're still on the car. So if you look on the front um, suspension wishbone, the Genie logo is still on there to this day. So they they, they retain a percentage of the Renault F1 team and they retain some um, active sponsorship on the car. Oh, right. That's, no, that's really interesting. I, I didn't realise that. But does that mean that, I mean, the name doesn't like sell cars or anything. So is it is it just kind of a prestige thing to say, well, our name's on the car, so we get a, a box over the top yeah, of the car? Yeah, kind plane. of. They're a, they're a venture capital firm. So they, they buy other firms and they buy shares in other firms. And... Um, and I think they used they used the um, they used the paddock probably more than anyone was doing at the time, and, and companies tend to do it now. They used the paddock and the F one races as a way to meet potential new clients and also to sort of wine and dine their existing clients. So Mark Greenhow in the chat would very much like to know if they actually made money on this deal or not. Uh, overall, over their whole ownership, no, they lost money. Um, depending on how you value their, their percentage ownership of the uh, Renault F1. Um, I think they enjoyed um, some good times and some and some interesting times. I see someone in the chat has said uh, that we never paid Kimmy as well. Um, so that was uh, the, 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 Kimmy, the Kimmy argument was when they, when they brought Kimmy back in to race, they offered him a deal whereby they paid him a fairly small um, basic salary. And then they offered him some bonus for the number of points that he scored. And he promptly went and won the first race. And then uh, I think came second in the second race and, uh, and ended up building up about 15 million euros of uh, money owed to him by the time that I took over. Um, so I actually did a deal with his manager, a guy called Steve Robertson. Um, and we ended up negotiating and we ended up paying him. He was, he was owed just over 15 and I ended up paying him around 10. And, um, and yeah, Kimmy never spoke to me. I mean, even up to this day, if I ever see him in the paddock or the pits, he still avoids me and he still blames me and says that I owe him five million euros. <laughs> um, someone in our Slack, Matt, I don't know if you caught the name of uh, of who asked the question, but somebody said, you know, did he provide a medical certificate for the two races that he missed that Kovalainen ended up substitu- substituting? No, not at all. So he... Um, so he was, I think with three races to go was the race. And I, I can't remember where it was because I wasn't, I wasn't running the team at the time where he crashed at the first corner and uh, never went back to the hospitality. He literally walked from the first corner to his car 
left, and that was the last time that anyone at Lotus ever saw him. Uh, he signed his deal with Ferrari. Um, and I know we've definitely talked about this before, but just for the record, they, the guys at Lotus had lined up Nico Hulkenberg to replace him. Nico came and had a seat fit, um, had a contract that had been signed. Nico was driving at Sauber at the time, and Sauber hadn't paid his wages, which was how he could he could exit them and come and come across to Lotus. Sauber had a Ferrari engine, and Ferrari were battling with Lotus in the championship at the time. So Ferrari paid up Nico's wages uh, so that he wasn't technically, they weren't in default of his contract. Therefore, he couldn't come to Lotus, even though the seat had been fitted, the contract wow. had been signed. Um, and then they went and got Kovalainen, and Kovalainen was, from the guys who worked with me, apparently he was quick, but he was very, very inconsistent. He literally could be three, four seconds between his lap times. And uh, I think Austin was his first race, and Roman did reasonably well, I think got a podium, but uh, but with only one car and Kovalainen right at the back, they, they never stood a chance, and they dropped from second in the championship down to fourth. Yes, and Kovalainen was far too honest when he just went, uh, yeah, no, that was that was much harder than I thought it was going to be. So no, don't admit it. Don't say that. Make up some kind of some kind of mysterious problem. Uh, now, Mr. Carter, you're actually seeing the live chat room in real time. Uh, a thrill yeah. for those guys, I'm sure, that, that they can fire questions to you almost directly. Uh, do you have a video of our live stream running in the background as well, or just the chat? Yeah, I've got a. So I've got a. So with the whole lockdown. Uh, isolation, whatever you want to call it. I'm, as you can tell from the background, in a different part of my abode um, with my family running around. I can hear them upstairs. Um, so I'm actually on a different computer. So I'm on a, I'm usually on a Surface device and I'm on a more traditional laptop. So I've actually can, can pull up the, the live chat next to it. So yeah, I can see it. Brilliant. Uh, do me a favor, Mr. Carter. Um, you can pop out the chat by selecting the three dots above the chat and uh, you can pop it out of that window and then you can close the video and that will help with the overall internet connection. Okay. I hope that stays into the final edit. Yeah, it's wow. You know, fascinating. This is part of the challenge that everybody is facing at the moment is trying to deal with bandwidth issues, uploads, downloads, um, and, and a lot of people darlicking all over their video conferences. And I'm going to do a very interesting and smug guide to video conferencing uh, on the Remain Indoors podcast which deals with all that kind of thing, doesn't it, Matt? Uh, which we're streaming on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays at 2 p.m. UK time. Yes, it does. And come to hear the uh, come to hear the tale of me and the windshield wiper, too. Yeah, I'm not sure that windshield wiper is as gripping as you think, but let's see. Email me, spannersready at gmail.com, if you want to know more about Matt's windshield wiper. On Monday, we are going to be joined with uh, my buddy and ex-dad hub, uh, alumni, uh, Tony Thunderbeast Barnard. On Tuesday, I'm going to bring you a fellow shed dweller in the form of musician and improv comedian Liam Taylor. And on Thursday, we're going to be joined by the fantastic girlrunninglate.com's Lauren Thomas. So that is the schedule for the Remain Indoors podcast. And that, Mr. Carter, is how you waffle on while somebody's dealing with a tech issue in the background. Pro. Boom. Uh, so as you came in, actually, you, you had a really unglorious brief uh, in, your, in your time with Lotus, which was almost like a survival mode, uh, not the ideal circumstances to come in. You know, they didn't bring you in to go, you've got a clean slate, Carter. Get us Schumacher Jr., R- Raikkonen, and, and, and win us the championship. 
No, no. When I came in, they were very much, uh, as I say, they hand paid Kimmy, or as the, the chat say, they hand paid Kimmy. Um, they a number of their suppliers. I mean, this is all very public. They, um, they, the the staff's wages hadn't been paid, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I came in very much to firefight and to try and uh, right the ship, shall we say? I think. Uh, well, I don't think I know that they threw an awful lot of money into that 2013 season to try and um, to try and really get somewhere. And they did. They were, you know, they were second in the championship. They were above Ferrari. They were above Red Bull. They were, sorry, Red Bull were, were ahead. But they were above the likes of Mercedes who were in the sport at the time. They were above McLaren, et cetera, et cetera. So they were doing a really good job, but they, um, it's a little bit like, and I, I'm hoping that this current situation is going to help some of the F1 teams to, uh, to relook at the way they do things. But the way I looked at it when I first went in there was it was just crazy. The the money they were spending to um, to bring such a small amount of lap time was just insane. And we as a small a small team, a small company, were really throwing, you know, they, they would think nothing of throwing £500,000 at building a new front wing and it gaining them less than a tenth of a second um, because they were so deep into that, um, the way they were running and they were challenging with, you know, every single race, Red Bull were bringing a new part, Ferrari were bringing a new part, and they mm. felt that they had to do the same. So they had all these engineers, and it blew my mind. The first time I worked in there, I walked into the, to Insta, there's 600 people there, 600 people in that little, in that little place to make cars. Um, and I just, I couldn't get my head around it. I would literally would walk into the design office and say, what are all these people? You know, who are all these people here? And they would say, well, this whole group here, and they point to like, 25 people and they'd say they're all working on the front wing so me being sort of the, the, the sort of the inquisitive person that i am i went over and said picked one guy and said okay what are you doing what you know you come in here at 7 30 and you leave at 5 p.m what are you working on and he was working on the end play of the front wing and he was literally changing angles and moving pieces and then running it through a computer simulator to see whether or not that affected the airflow and etc 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 and um if he thought he found something that was important, they would then go and 3D print it. Then they'd put it into the wind tunnel. They'd test it in the wind tunnel. And if that worked, they would then go and build it. And then they'd ship it to the next race. And this is all done within two weeks, sometimes back to back within one week. Um, and in a good way, I think that's the reason that Mercedes has been able to help with the, um, the ventilator issue. You know, they've, they've, they've reverse engineered one of these ventilators to help with the coronavirus. Um, I think that's it's all it's in their DNA to work through problems really quickly and uh, and turn them around. Uh, Matt, well, I just figured Mr. Carter would like to know that our very own Nick Alexander in the super chat on YouTube has kicked in five bucks for the Kimmy back pay fund. <laughs> I think he's okay. I think he's fine. Uh, I don't think he's. I don't think he's struggling. Uh, Kimmy, he was going through a divorce at the time as well. I know that that was one of his big issues. Well, but you would think he would be happy that you hadn't paid him because it wouldn't yet be an asset for it to be counted in the settlement. Oh, he, uh, I don't think he realized how close he was to not being paid at all. That was, I think that was the issue with Kimmy. He's so, um, what's the, what's the nicest way to word it? He's we'll a special character. How about that? He's a what special character? character? Special character. Uh, so I am curious. I remember back in the day at one of the principal's, uh, conferences, uh, one of the teams talking about a measure 
that if they weren't allowed, that if a development didn't bring X amount for Y dollars, you know, like tenths per dollars kind of thing, that the FIA should disallow it to try and help with exactly what you're discussing. But if I'm looking around the current uh, environment, I, I see that McLaren has already gone ahead and furloughed some of its employees. The drivers are taking voluntary pay cuts. What teams do you see them as leading the vanguard here in terms of trying to protect jobs for the future? And who do you see thinking the same way you were thinking? It's a lot of questions. Amongst the current um, teams. I really don't want to go down a political um, rant about this, and uh, but from a try and keep it on a business or an F1 point of view, I really find it hard to believe that McLaren... Uh, are in a position already where they need to put people on uh, on furlough. It's uh, I I think that you know I I read somewhere that this Premier League soccer teams are thinking of doing the same things, and at some point I think someone should turn around and say, don't you know these teams that are I mean, McLaren make an awful lot of money. You know, let's not let's let's not feel sorry for McLaren. You know, they're not in the same position. Yes, some of the smaller teams. If we if we stick to F one, some of the smaller teams, some of the teams like Haas and um, and even Williams. You know, they're they are going to struggle because they are on the they're on the they're on the cusp of you know they need that money that comes in and um, I mean it, it's interesting to take a step back and to look at how the teams get their money so so the the money that the teams have comes from well I always used to say when I was at Lotus it was approximately fifty 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 percent from sponsorship fifty percent from Bernie um, or from FOM and the fifty percent that comes from Bernie or FOM is again roughly split fifty fifty between prize money and TV rights money. Um, so you start to take away, so the, the, the prize money is based on the year previous and, and it's already calculated and worked out. So they're still going to get that. They'll still get that money, whatever happens. The, the TV revenue, the TV money, as far as I'm aware, comes in during, well, it definitely comes in during the season, but as far as I'm aware, I and mean, we've never been in this position before. So, you know, as far as I'm aware, they, they only get that as the TV companies pay FOM and FOM pay the teams. So if there's no races and therefore there's no TV streaming, then therefore that's got to stop at some point. And, um, and that's when it starts to become tricky. Then sponsors, you know, sponsors are going to be contracted and contracted to pay. But at some point with no races, the sponsor's going to stop paying as well. So it, it kind of all starts to, starts to fall in, implode in on itself. And I, I don't know at which point, because we've never been in this situation before, at which point they can, they can do anything about it. Uh- Lots of points there. Matt raised lots of questions. I do want to make sure I just credit Aiden, who's the one who asked about the medical certificate for Kimmy. And that was at Aiden Mount. Thank you for that question. We've got a few more questions for you from Twitter and Slack, uh, which we will throw in towards the end of the show. Uh, look out for us at Missed Apex F1 and me at Spanners Ready and Matt at MattPT55. Um, Matthew Carter, still not, still not on the public social media yet. Not been tempted. No. Nope. Short and sharp answer. Uh, I want to, I want to go back to what you were saying about going around the, the factory and speaking to your, your aero guy. The, the point that you say, you know, you come in at, at seven, uh, you, you possibly even collect overtime to, to chase these, these very minimal, minimal gains. Uh, but that guy is probably on, I don't know, 30 to 35 grand a year as a, as a relatively junior engineer. If a lot of that is around aero and you had 25 guys on an average of about 30 grand each, and that's just the front wing, uh, presumably yep. it was the same for like the rear wing and the floor of and course. stuff like yep. that. Yep. 
to make these very minimal gains, are we perhaps going to be in a situation where to make the F1 teams survive, maybe even half the grid, we're going to have to somehow stop them spending this money for the minimal gains. And the only way to do that is going to be to strip back on aero. I mean, even a cost cap is is going to be unrealistic because you just can't compete in the aero battle without millions and millions and millions that you're describing. Well, it was my, it, this was my argument all the way through. Um, um, we did a fairly terrible job of, of proving my argument to be correct. But when um, when Cyril, when Renault came in to buy Lotus and when Cyril made his decisions and, and I saw his business plan of where, or the Renault business plan of where they wanted to be, one of the first things that they listed was they wanted to add 250 um, heads to the, to the staff. And I'd spent three years streamlining that staff and making that staff. And, and repeatedly the staff would tell me, you know, we work much smarter and we work much wiser and we're, we're much more able to, to react to things because of the way that we've streamlined and we've, and we've, we've cut out the fat. Um, and I remember saying to Cyril, why, do you, why 250? And, he's, and he didn't even have a strategy of where he wanted those heads to be. He just wanted the headcount to be up because that's where Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari were. They were at the 850, the 900 heads. And he was like, if we're going to be serious, we need to have that many people working for us. Well, I, I still to this day, I mean, I've not been back in that environment for a few years, but I still to this day would argue that that's not the case, that they, they need to work a bit smarter and a bit wiser. And they need to, maybe maybe this is going to be the thing that's going to help them to to, to stream, stream things down because it was all, that's always the case with the cost cap was the teams that have got the huge number of employees, you start putting cost cap in, and then you're starting to lay off people. You're starting to make people redundant. And it's, it's not their fault that they've been brought into this world. Wow. I just, I love that about, oh, we've got to have the same headcount as the big boys. You know, that kind of explains uh, Daniel Ricardo as well. It's got to be a big name signing. We've got to show. It, it feels almost like the Renault F1 team isn't so much doing that for the sake of the TV audiences or the championship, they're almost sending a message back to Renault proper, you know, the the, the consumer teams. Uh, sorry, the, uh, the the manufacturer behind. No, they are, and and much as this is against what I've just said, I think the drivers are slightly different. Um, and again, I know we've 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 talked this to death on this on this podcast, but um, when I had Maldonado in one of the cars and I had Roman in the other car, I really only had one driver that was giving us any any feedback. So. The driver is important and a good, consistent driver that knows what he's doing and can go out there and can go out and come back and can say, right, you know, I need more downforce, less downforce. I need to move the brake bias. I need to do whatever. Um, that saves you a hell of a lot of time. And time is one of the best commodities that you've got in Formula One. So, um, yeah, I think they went for Ricciardo because he's a name. And maybe they could have taken someone, maybe Ocon a year earlier or something like that. Um, that maybe would have given them just as good a feedback. But I think the driver is, is a very important part of the puzzle. And I know in 2015, when we were fighting with Force India, I had Grosjean and, and Maldonado, and they had Hulkenberg and Perez. And I was convinced at some point in that season, it came down to the fact that they had the better driver. Well, I would just think that F1 is also a bit of marketing. and. You know, if you're looking at Ocon versus Ricardo, Ricardo is a bigger name with a bigger following, and and maybe that might also play into it to a certain extent as well. 
yeah, definitely. F, it is marketing. It's all about marketing. That's all F1 is really. Um, so yeah, Ricciardo, he's, 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 a, he's a great name, but I mean, is he, is he 10 times better than Ocon or more? 20 times better than Ocon, then I don't think so. But anyway. Well, our Australian audience is bigger than our French audience. So, yes, definitely. Yeah, Ricardo's way much, much better. Keep on downloading the show, even though there's no F1 races. Uh, thank you for your support, guys. Uh, do keep downloading it. Just let it go into your app. You know, yes, the button, the button on the app will go up with the episodes that you might not want to listen to. You just got to clear them down every now and then. Keep them... Keep them downloading so that so that Acast are still happy with us and they still keep putting ads on there. Uh, interesting to say about the um, the feedback that you got from your staff, uh, Matthew. Uh, you said, oh, "Oh, they're saying, oh yes, oh no, we're we're happy, boss. We're we're happy. We're working smarter and harder than ever." Could that be because you just sacked tons of their mates <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, be nice to Mister Carter," because oh, the, the the chopper they used to call it. That's what they used to call you on the shop floor. Here comes the chopper. No, so if we we put some things into concept, context and there's some very low hanging fruit. So, for example, one of the first meetings I went to, we were looking, we were going through the freight costs and the the, the cost to take the to to fly the team and the and the and the race team around the world. And we looked at it, and um, I was trying to break it down. And we were taking five chassis to every single race. So the chassis is the what they call the survival cell, the the sort of basically a coffin. That everything else is attached onto the, the the it looks like a coffin rather than it is a coffin it looks like a coffin um and that they attach everything onto so we were taking five of those with us to every single race back in early 2014 uh, or certainly the end of 2013 so i asked the question i said okay well and they're very very rigorous in the the crash testing so i said when was the last time that we damaged a um a chassis so i think they said that uh roman damaged one in 2012 in Monaco, I think he had a shunt and he, and he, and he damaged one. And I said, okay, so that would, that would, um, that would justify us taking three chassis. When was the last time that we damaged two chassis in one race weekend? And they looked at me and it was 20 years prior to that. I think it was in the Benetton days it was the last time that I'd ever damaged two chassis in a race weekend. I said, okay, but we're taking five. So when was the last time that we damaged three? And they couldn't even find in the records the last time that they damaged three. But their point was if they damaged three, and they wouldn't be able to race, that would be a disaster. So how could they possibly even contemplate the fact that they wouldn't be able to race because they didn't have any chassis? So why go down that route when that's where we're at? And the second example, which is one that I used to bring up a lot when I used to talk to sponsors and, and do sort of public engagements, was we um, there's, there's one race, and I, and I can't remember the race. I have a feeling it was Barcelona. But we um, Roman had been going over the, um, the, the, the curbs quite heavily for the whole race. And towards the end of the race, part of his rear wing um, damaged and was and was flapping off. So we got a call through from Charlie White and say, you know, it's uh, we're going to black flag the car unless you bring it in. You need to bring the car in and, and retire it from the race. We weren't in the points at the time. We brought the car in and retired it from the race. So we're then in a problem-solving meeting on, uh, on the Monday morning. And uh, it's going ahead and I'm sort of sitting there doing other things and I'm listening to what they're talking about. And all of a sudden they're saying, um, okay, yeah, you know, we've uh, we designed this rear wing to take a load of whatever it was, I don't know, 35G. Um, over the course of the of the weekend, you know, we must have had one hit that was just over 35G and it snapped the rear wing. So we're going to reverse engineer the part. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to make sure that it can accept a load of up to 50G. Um, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. hang on a minute. What's, what's the cost of this 
going to be? And it was, we were into the hundreds of thousands again for it. And I said, well, you know, we're halfway through a season. We've had two cars. They've been around X thousand of laps and this has happened once. So no, we're not going to redo that. We're going to keep it as it was. And the look on their face was as if I'd, you know, this is how can you possibly not do this? This is Formula One. You know, we have to re-engineer this. We have to make it stronger and better and lighter and faster. And and I think at some point, and maybe as I say, this current um, catastrophe or this the, the the pandemic is going to make people stop and realise. Well, maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe we need to just sort of take a step back. Oh, hang on a minute, because there was a, a question very uh, relevant to that on Twitter, which I, I want to make sure we use our Twitter questions. Paul King was saying, when all this is behind us, will the manufacturers be able to justify spending hundreds of millions on F1 uh, when it's seen by many as frivolous and an already expensive uh, sport? Paul says, it seems likely to me that the inevitable global recession will cause many to re-evaluate that involvement. Um, I I just want to say, sorry, Trumpets, I know you want to come in in a second. I just wanted to say, you know, are those engineers or were those engineers you're dealing with very much used to a kind of blank check mentality where all lap, lap time was king and then suddenly yes. here's you just trying to make you you survive as a as a business entity and looking at it from a business point of view must have been quite jarring that's exactly well that's exactly it that's exactly the point they were absolutely 100% used to money is no object and that's what they'd had through the whole of 2013 and and as i said before they've been successful they were they were challenging the big boys but at some point, that's got to come to a stop. Um, you know, you've you've got to turn around and say we're not just. I mean, again, I used to go to races back in in fourteen, fifteen, and an early part of sixteen, and used to look at Red Bull shipping in parts on Friday and Saturday morning, and new whole new front wings, whole new rear wings. They weren't working. They'd be in the skip out the back of the garage. You'd see them. They'd they'd flown them in last minute, like last minute air freight, which costs a fortune. They'd landed. They'd, They'd bolted them on the car. They'd, they'd gone out in one practice session, come back, decided it wasn't showing the gains that they thought, and they just ditch it, bin it. And we couldn't afford to do that. So I think at some point they've got to, this has got to open their eyes a little bit to, to, to what's going on. The second point, just to go back to what you were just saying then about the, the car manufacturers, you know, I've already said this before, and, and, and I know this is a fact, Mercedes, before all this happened, had told Toto that they wanted them the, the Mercedes AMG to be... Um, I'll say cash neutral. I'm not sure cash neutral is exactly what they were saying, but they they basically told him that they wanted to stand on its own two feet. And uh, it's one of the reasons that he signed um, the, the INEOS sponsorship deal um, because they wanted to be to make the F1 team stand on its own two feet. And my argument with the guys from Genie and the guys at Lotus was always, I'm convinced that an F1 team can stand on its own two feet. As long as it's managed properly, it shouldn't cost a car manufacturer hundreds of millions. There's no way it should cost them hundreds of millions anyway. Hundreds of millions is their overall budget. You have to remember, they get a huge amount of money comes in from FOM. I mean, Ferrari, in my time, the agreement that was signed was that Ferrari got $100 million more than the next highest paid team. So Mercedes-Benz won the world championship. They were, you know, they won the driver's championship, the, the, um, the constructor championship. And Ferrari had a contract that said they got $100 million more than the next highest team. So you think if Ferrari is spending 300 million, they've got that. Ferrari still get, again, back in my day, and I, you know, I know we said at the start, we weren't going to say that, but they're, they're still getting a huge amount of money from Philip Morris, from Marlborough in sponsorship funds. I mean, back in, back in 15, they were still getting $50 million 
sponsorship from Philip Morris, which is a tobacco manufacturer. Um, so you start to add up the amount of money that they get from FOM, the amount of money. So it's not hundreds of millions that the manufacturers are spending, but it is still obscene amounts of money. Wow. That's a lot of information. Um, cheap, fast, good. That's what my wife always says about building things rapidly. You can have two of the three, pick any two and, and you're good to go. Is that kind of the point that you're starting to make here? I, I know they've mentioned with regard to the teams, things like freezing the engines, kicking the regulations back another year before they, they put them in all just to help the teams out. Cause it, it is a very fluid time, but my actual follow-up question would be, okay, you're a team principal. What are the things we don't know about where you'd be looking to save money in a situation like this? Uh, I, I mean, that's, it's exactly what I did. So, so what I'm talking to you about, so freight is huge, traveling, moving these, um, garages and, uh, it's limit. I mean, again, it, it, it was, it was crazy back in the day, but they limited it to, we were only allowed to bring 80 people to each race that was limited by the FIA, but still traveling the freight around the world was into the tens of millions of dollars a year. So one team would spend, of course, yeah. Oh, wow. That's an, that's an insane amount of money. But Bernie had a deal with DHL. So we had to use DHL to move all of the stuff around the world. And the amount of money that it cost was insane. And there's zero chance that there wasn't a kickback coming from DHL to, to FOM. Allegedly, allegedly. We were used to book up. No, no, allegedly about it. And also Bernie used to book all the flights. He used to, he used to plan the calendar, um, the calendar exactly. And then his, uh, he had his own um, travel company, FOM Travel, and they would book all the flights. So the, the, the best flight from, let's just say, Heathrow to Montreal, uh, three days before the race, he'd book all the flights up. So as soon as the calendar came out, you'd have this massive race of all the, all the assistants, all the travel departments in the, in the F1 teams trying to book the cheapest flights and cheapest hotels, and they'd all be booked up. And then you'd get an email through from FOM Travel to say, you know, we've got, 50 seats available on the the flight that leaves Heathrow at 6 p.m. and lands in uh, Montreal at 5 p.m. And the best flight with the best lack of jet lag is is available. And these are the prices. So there's kickbacks on everything. And then it it comes down to development. And and that was what what we used to do is, you know, we we had a rule that if it wasn't going to offer more than a tenth or two tenths, then we wouldn't even follow through with the we wouldn't even build it, we wouldn't even 3D print it, we wouldn't put it into the wind tunnel because it just wasn't worth it. Whereas you've got the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari that are going to chuck every single thing into the wind tunnel. They're going to, you know, the DAS system that Mercedes launched, you can guarantee that all the big boys have spent millions examining, working out whether or not they can get that to work on their car. Um, so all those things there are ways that they can save money. I've just had the lawyers uh, on the phone there. That's uh, who I was speaking to, the Missed Apex lawyers. And they've assured me that Bernie's too busy uh, planning uh, his new teeny tiny baby. His baby. His new teeny tiny baby. That 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 seems... How old is he? He's like in his 80s. 89. 89. All right. And he's he's got a daughter who's 65. (laughs) Okay. Good. Well, I hope I'm still doing that kind of thing when I'm 89. Like, good on him, I guess. And well, right. Well, let me explain to you, Mr. Carter, when a mummy and daddy love each other very much. And, uh, do you know what? I'll tell you the rest of where babies come from. I'm not, I'm not sure that's the kind of thing. Anyway. Yes. 
I'll tell you all about it later on. Don't worry about it. It's all it's all very messy, but uh, there is at least at least 10 minutes of fun in there uh, as part of the process. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Um right, I w- I was really fascinated with this kind of clashing of worlds between the blank checkbook it's all about the lap time and you coming in like very obviously as a as a business focused business guy um it's fair to say you don't have an f1 pedigree your your pedigree is in business management and and finance and stuff like that and um and investments uh what was there what was their like reaction to you was it was it negative or did at some point they start to realize that you were doing it for the good of the team and and for surviving because it doesn't look like um, your kind of attitude is prevalent around the F1 paddock. Okay, so so reaction. So so I think there's two questions there. Reaction from the t- from my team um, was generally positive. There's a lot of out and out races in in Enstone and in Formula One that that we're all about, but they very soon realised that that what we were doing was um, made sense. Or what I was doing made sense. The reaction from the rest of the paddock and the team principals is an interesting one because you've got different sorts of guys. So Toto is, whilst he is obviously a, a racer, he is also a, a finance guy. He's also been, he's worked in VCs. Yeah. He's he's turned around a few tech companies. And, you know, I had a lot of conversations with him where there was a similar sort of outlook. Um, someone like Christian is the opposite. He is He's an out-and-out racer. So... You've got this. There's a there's a mix there, and um, I think there was there was some initial reticence towards me. But I think uh, I'd like to think I'm quite a nice guy, and 
and once they'd sat and had a conversation with me for a while that they that they got on okay and we and we got it. There's some people, I mean, Franz Tost, I never got on with. He is just an out and out racer and he's an old school racer and I think he he'll he'll he's a die in the wall, will go to his grave as a as a racing guy. Um pretty much everyone else. I mean Claire, I got on really well with Claire, even though she's a, she's obviously an out and out racer. But I think I think they all understand that there's a business aspect that they have to bring to it. You can't just you know, the old days where uh, where Ron Dennis and, and Frank Williams were were working the spanners as well as running the team are, are gone. You know, it, it's a business and it's a and it's a it's a huge multi million dollar business. And um and that's what's crazy about what's going on at the moment because I'm there's so much that is up in the air at the moment. I mean, who knows, you know, I I think, and again, it's something that I never looked at when I was there. I think they have to do eight races for this to be considered a world championship. Um, so if, if, if they have to do eight races, they've, they've, they've got to fit them in somewhere. Otherwise I'm assuming that that would mean that the sponsors don't have to pay for this year because there's, there's been no season. Oh, So I think they, they, there'll be a big push for them to make sure that they at least cover those, those eight races. Um, the money that comes from formula one to the teams, which again is an important part of, of how they operate comes in. And again, I don't know if people really know this, but they, it's paid in 10 installments. So the first installment is paid in January and the last installment is paid in the end of the season. So October, November, however that works might be February to November, but you get those 10 installments and you're, well, we at Lotus were absolutely, you know, we were desperate for that money. That was, it was, that was part of our cash flow. It's part of how we work. Now I, I don't know whether or not that stopped whether or not it's halved because they're just getting the money from last year, whether or not it's still continue. I mean, it's, I really don't know. It's, it's. Wow. Question. Um, in looking at some research for having you on, um, I came across the assertion that after that below 15 races, the broadcasters start paying on a sliding scale to televise the season rather than what Formula One expects to get. And along with that comes the question for me, generally, uh, about 30% of their income comes from promoters, from, from the race fees, 38% comes from TV. Um, are we in danger of losing promoters because are they going to lose audience? Right? Will people actually want to go out and stand around in big crowds when and if the racing actually resumes? And what happens to the promoters if they don't? And what happens to Formula One if that doesn't happen? again we're in we're in uncharted territory so i i the honest answer is i have no idea yes. i can give you my my opinion and my my thought process um i actually read an article there's a an f1 journalist called Dieter rankin a south african guy we're aware who, we're was, aware mr carter yeah i clash with on a fairly regular basis but actually away from the the microphones and stuff he was actually quite a nice guy um not not of the Joe Saywood level of uh, of F1 journalist, but um, but he wrote an article the other day which was actually quite interesting, which was talking about potentially racing behind closed doors, um, and the reasoning behind it, and the fact that they would still get TV rights, and there is a market still there for for races. Um, so um, I I don't know with with regard to promoters, I know that the US. Are really struggling. I know that Circuit of the Americas is struggling. Um, I know that the guy here in Montreal, because it's one of the reasons I'm here in Montreal, was because he was struggling back in the day. And a year away from racing for him, 
I think is going to be fairly catastrophic. Um, so the answer is, I, the answer is I don't know. My my gut feeling is that yes, that some promoters are going to fall by the wayside. So I guess the the core question actually is is F one going to be okay? I mean, even before the pandemic really took a hold of the season, people were talking about Liberty uh, dipping out, and there was a a news source, a news outlet that well, I don't trust necessarily, um, but there was a drumbeat of negativity about Liberty perhaps leaving and abandoning F1 and Bernie Eccleston and friends uh, making a play back for it. Has this has this pandemic, do you think, put F1 itself or Liberty in a bad position? Because they are going to be losing money. It's not the, the prospect it necessarily was. Is there a danger of, you know, is there an existential crisis for F1? Again, <laughs> nobody really knows. I, I, I mean, it's... We, we, we're in this. I, I, I used to read all the contracts that I had with the sponsors and stuff. And I'm a fairly diligent guy, but even I wouldn't really go through all the 500 pages of a contract that we had with a sponsor. So I honestly, off the top of my wow. head, I don't know in there where force majeure works, where it doesn't work, where they're allowed to get out, where the number of races, and that was just with sponsors, let alone with promoters in F1, let alone with people that have bought tickets for F1, whether or not they're going to get their money returned, whether or not they can keep those tickets and use them next year. I, I, I genuinely don't know. In terms of Formula One itself, the Liberty is a very, very wealthy company. Um, they're a media company. And don't forget that media is the one thing that really through this should continue to be okay. You know, forget the, forget live events and, and such like, but they, you know, they produce content that is, that is watched via television and you know whatever and, and that's the one thing that we're all doing at the moment is is absorbing up more content so liberty themselves should be okay formula one i still believe has got a place in um in the sporting world at the moment i i, I still think there's a there's a place for it when we come out the other side of this um so i don't think it's going to affect formula one i th- th- there's a possibility that the guys at liberty are going to be put off of Formula One by by what's happened. Um, Liberty are a big shareholder in Formula E as well. That happened late last year. They, they I think they bought the they bought a, a big share of Formula E. Um, who knows? I mean again we're we're speculating hugely. I know that's what you guys want me to do, but I don't know who knows Formula E and Formula One could merge. I mean who who knows what's going to happen and, and where we're going to go. Well there you go Matt Trumpets, that's we've heard it from the horse's mouth. Formula One and Formula E to merge, yeah, confirmed. And I'll edit out all the times he said speculation. Indeed, I think that's a great plan. I, I really do have a lot of fun tracking down where, you know, because there are a lot of rumors that Bernie this, Bernie this, and it was fun tracking down where they started online. But I don't want to go there right now. But let's talk about Liberty for a brief second. <laughs> Carter saying he started them. <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly where they started. Um, does it, does it rhyme with formula funny? Uh, no, actually, um, one of them was in this and another one was a Bernie Eccleston interview where he casually dropped it, that, Oh, I'm sure Toto will just leave Mercedes and go to Aston because Lawrence has bought the company. And then that was a month worth of Wolf is going to Aston and Hamilton's quitting formula one because there was nothing else to talk about. Got some behind the scenes knowledge about Aston Martin. Actually, we can come on to that in a minute. 
Yes, okay. we will. Uh, okay, before we do that, before we go to a big team, right? Okay, there's too many things in my mind to hold on to. Okay, Matt's long question. You finish your long question, and then I'll do a, a listener question. Then we'll do Aston Martin, and that will be us. And I will point out, I have to do this question because I actually wrote it down. So we've got Sean Bratch is leaving. We've got Chase Carey was on board to be out. Have you heard any? Yes, I'm in. Who's, is going to? You're in. Admit it. You do admit it. You are taking over. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. No, 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 no. Sorry. Sorry. No, but who was coming in for them? And and does this present a problem for them because of the unexpected events of, well, you know, 2020? I, I hate to sound as if I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but I, we, it, it's such an unprecedented time. I really don't know. Yes. I mean, Sean Bratch has apparently left because he didn't realize he was going to have to travel as much as he did, which I, I think is, is a, is a ridiculous, a ridiculous statement. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I mean, Liberty have not, in my opinion, very much my opinion, um, Liberty have not maximized what they could have done from this. They, they paid an awful lot of money for the sport. They bought something that they thought they could easily turn around. They bought something that, uh, they thought from a from a media point of view that they could convert, and and we've talked about this before. That, that, that they that I believe they thought they could turn all the viewers onto their own platform. So they would gradually lose all the local, all the all the Sky UK, all the TVA, all the Canal Plus. They would lose all those broadcasters, and they bring everyone onto their own their own um, platform to watch Formula One. Um, they're pivoting left, right, and center. There's the reason they bought a chunk of Formula E, I think, is because they felt that was the right thing to do. Um, I, I, again, I'm not sure whether it is or it isn't. Um, in answer to the question, I I don't know. that they're, they're doing something not right with a sport that is incredible, and the sport will survive whatever happens. Um, I don't think they can afford to ditch it now because the share price has dropped so much. And... Uh, you know they've got they've got their own internal shareholders to answer to, so I don't think they can ditch it now. I don't think they will ditch it now. I think they'll continue to push on with it. Um, it's a ridiculous answer because I really don't I don't know what to say. Okay, so let's I, go on then, Matt. I was just going to ask. I was hoping you might know who was coming in to replace them, but and maybe you disagree with me, Spanners. Here, I would very much like to get your opinion on what they should be doing that they're not. And if you disagree, we can go somewhere else. Um. I, I think they tried to they tried to um, they tried to ditch everything that Bernie was doing very quickly, and I think that was I think they they listened to a lot of people that said everything that Bernie did was wrong. You need to change you change everything immediately. Um, I think and I think they did that straight away. And I'm not not sure that was necessarily the right way to look at things. The way they've approached um, and some of this is what I I know in the background some of it's what I've read in the media and I can never really remember which is which. So um, I know that the way they've approached promoters and they deal with promoters is not necessarily the best way. Some of the negotiations that they've done with promoters has not necessarily been in the best interest of Formula One. Um, the promoters have got a lot more um, muscle. It, and muscle is not the right word, but promoters have got a, a, a lot more um, say in what's going on than they ever had under Bernie. And I, I don't think that's a good thing. I think that the sport needs to be the sport and the sport of F1 is such a powerful thing that they could afford to turn around to Silverstone and say, okay, you know, if you really want to play hardball, we're going to go to Bruns Hatch. If you really want to play hardball, we'll go and build a new circuit somewhere else. 
but they didn't. They, 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 they don't want to say that. Okay, they, they backed down. They kowtowed. They, they did lots of things with, with lots of promoters that they shouldn't necessarily have done. I, I, I hope you're not like worrying about being and litigious. They've, they've, Our lawyers have gone to sleep now. They're fine. They've, they've given up. They've had a sherry and they've gone and tucked themselves into bed, as they normally do for Carter shows. So the, to be fair. So the answer, the answer to the question is, I, there's lots of things that they shouldn't could have done. Um, Yes, they needed to approach the social media side of things. They needed to open up, um, but they kind of half-heartedly did it. I know that they've they've really loosened the tight hold that Bernie had on the staff that worked at FOM, and that's not necessarily worked. Again, I don't want to say too too much, but there's 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 lots of people that work within FOM that have suddenly had like shackles re- released from them that have gone from being very very um, compliant, yeah. Well, yeah, compliance, compliance is a good word, but Bernie ruled with a very iron fist, even though he was an old guy. And all of a sudden they've got some Americans that have come in and basically said, you know, you know, woohoo, go, go do what you want to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure it's, it's, it's the right way to approach it. As I say, Formula One will survive. It's, it's, it's an, it's an incredible sport. It's an amazing sport and, and it, and it will. And you know, the last race I went to was Austin last year and it was, it was as big and as crazy and as busy as it's ever been. So It'll it'll survive. It's just um, it's 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 a crazy time out there. So uh, Matthew, your speciality, uh, if anything, in Formula One is coming into a team that is struggling with finances and trying to turn that ship around, help it survive, make efficiencies, and, and run the F one team in that kind of way. There's probably going to be about four or five teams on the grid after this that are going to be in the same situation that uh, that Lotus found themselves in. So A, my question from me at Spanners Ready on Twitter is, which F1 team are you coming in to save with a, a group of investors? And Hannah Hassel uh, would like to ask on Twitter as well, uh, which two drivers from the current grid are you going to sign up to be your drivers in 2021 for the uh, Carter Mist Apex F1 racing outfit? So the teams that are going to be, um, <laughs> let's go with up for grabs. I think the, the teams that are going to, the teams that are going to, they're going to struggle. Um, so in terms of, of overall, um, ownership or whatever, I think, and Matt's not going to like this very much, but I think Haas are going to be, um, are going to be really looking. If somebody walked into Gene Haas's office with, uh, even a small amount of money, I think they'd probably walk away with an F1 team. Um, Williams, and again, I've got a little bit of background info, on Williams, but I, I, Williams are going to struggle. Williams, Williams are really going to struggle. They're going to have to, they're going to have to massively change the way that they approach their, um, the way they are. Um, then some of the smaller teams, so Toro Rosso, um, or Alpha Toro, um, Red Bull are looking at their approach to Formula One in terms of having two teams. The possibility that there could be there could there could be something there. Alfa Romeo didn't sell any cars before this pandemic happened, and not going to sell any more cars after this pandemic. So Alfa Romeo is going to be in in a, in a difficult situation. So the, there's there's a number of teams there that are going to be uh, that are going to be struggling overall in terms of management. Um, Toto is not going to go to to um, to Aston Martin, and Aston Martin needs someone to wait. Wait, to, he's not. I, didn't he say something along the lines of it's not impossible or was he just being nice? It's being nice, being total. Well, there we go. Uh, so oh, I guess we can skip that then. Uh, so which one of those teams would you would you want to come in and take over? Which one do you fancy? 
Which one do you fancy on your shopping list, on your Christmas list? Renault. Just, is it, okay, is that just so that Cyril's out? No, no, not at all. Um, I think if of, of those teams, you've got to start looking at, and, and it's, um, it's inter- I was listening to your, um, your conversation about Manor the other day with... Um, Gemma. Gemma. Gemma, sorry, yeah, sorry. Um, and one of the reasons that I went there very briefly was because the model that they'd set up, I thought, was a, was a workable model. Um, in terms of, it was quite small. There, was not, there, was, there wasn't an, an awful amount of people working there. They bought in as many pieces as they can. And for the same reason, that's why I think Haas is actually a good prospect for somebody to walk into. Um, in terms of drivers, um, Perez is a, from a, but it, this is me talking from a business point of view because he brings a lot of Mexican <laughs> money with him and he's a very, very good driver. There we go. You saved very, it. You saved it. <laughs> and a very, a very, uh, and I know I say this word a lot, but consistent and a consistent driver is what you want. So for me, I would take, uh, from the current grid, taking into consideration how much they're paid and, and what they do, I would take Perez and Ocon. Nice. So you've got a mixture of experience and youth and you've just made me and Matt very happy. So he's just pandering to us, Matt. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> hang on. How did that exactly work out last time they were paired? Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing as the words came out of my mouth, that it wasn't necessarily a great fit, was it, when they were at uh, Force India? But uh, they've grown up a bit. They'll be okay. Uh, did we seriously cover everything from Aston Martin, or did you have more on that, Matthew? Oh, he does. Oh, Sorry, I, th- I think the internet... Oh, oh is it? Is it oh, uh, n- now, it's, now it's dropping out. Uh, okay, I think that might be... Yeah, I'm fun. not sure. I'm, um, yeah, so Stroll's had to put more money in than he was going to put in. To, really? So to Aston Martin Car Company. Again, I think this is public. I don't think this is... Yeah, yeah, it's public. Know. Yeah, feel free. Just discuss it. It's fine. He's, um, he's, uh, he had to put more money in to, to save them from their immediate um, issues, uh, which he did. Um, but I think he's, um, he's, he needs to take a step back and just have a look at what he's bought and, and where they go forward from here. They've just opened a big new facility in Wales, from what I understand, um, we're talking the car coming out, not F1, so maybe we've gone off track. So let's. Uh... No, it's vital related, though, isn't it? I'm sure Trumpets has a, a way to link that together. Uh, actually, indeed, I do. Um, I know. Because, as always, we really want to know what you think. Um, this whole thing started with a Bernie interview uh, on the 27th of March. And I think it was this, maybe. Um, Great. Now I've and- got to beep it twice. Thanks. Uh, okay, fine. Beep it all you like. If we ignore that, and if we look at Wolf and Mercedes right now, uh, the relationship with Colonius is not necessarily the greatest. You've got this pandemic, which nobody expected, and Ferrari keeping him from going on to run Formula One, which is supposedly what he wanted to do. Um, if you were him, would you really jump at this point, or would you stick? And why or why not? Like, what would your thinking be if you were in that situation as a team principal? I think Toto would love to run F1. I think he'd love to do run F1 every job. I think, I think, I think that's where he'd like to be. But again, I don't, I don't know whether or not this is publicly known or whether it's something that Definitely I specifically is. know, but the teams agreed what they, what they called a wolf clause, which said that nobody that had been a team principal of, a, of one of the teams could take over at FOM for two years, I think. Um, 
And that's one of the reasons I don't think he'll go to Aston Martin. I think he will, um, I think he'll continue at Mercedes. He'll go for his, uh, to help Lewis get to his record number of championships. And then I think he'll take a two year hiatus and come back as, uh, a Chase Carey type figure. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me in the shed. Um, I know this is uh, both a very happy and incredibly busy and weird time for you, Mr. Carter. Are we allowed to say uh, why congratulations are due? Yeah. You are a, a proud dad again of a bouncing, healthy little baby. What what kind is it? Human. It's a human, is it? It's like Because normally they come in, in, <laughs> little, in two major girl, brands. You've got a little girl. So actually for you, the, the lockdown, you wouldn't have been going out anywhere anyway because having a baby is terrible and it ruins everything. It's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been a bit of a crazy time. It's been, uh, it was interesting being in hospital in and around this time and, uh, and trying to get out as quick as possible as well. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's all good. It's fine. But we can tell that you are in a, a slightly different room of your house, which has created the odd internet warble. So we hope you win that power struggle soon. Although none of us, because we're all dads as well, are holding our breath for you. Yeah, no, I apologise for that. I did try and put a booster down here to help with the signal, which I thought was working. But uh, yeah, apologies if I've I've dropped out a few times. No, it's okay. Hey, look, I mean, if if I'd have been part of the decision, I'd advised you. I would have advised you not to, as I do to to everyone. Babies are terrible. Get a Netflix account, put the pretty lady down, and go and play golf. Your life will be better. Imagine, Matt, how good the lockdown would be if we'd never had got if we'd have never gone down that path. I can't even imagine at this point. I think brain damage, really. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us, Matthew Carter. Uh, you can't. Actually, be- no, there's, there's a few. Other- Are you desperate to go? Is no, not at all. No. The internet? I was just wrapping no, tell up. Tell us more. We're listening. No, just because there was, there was some things that I was thinking about this morning to do with. Um, I, I, I don't know how long this is going to last, but so they, um, there's, there's, Montreal have still not cancelled the race. As far as I'm aware as of today, I've not really looked at the news today. No, they haven't. In fact, we had a question from Andrew Cunningham on Twitter saying, will the GP be cancelled? If so, uh, why hasn't it been announced? So so on that, my, my opinion again on that is that it's impossible for them to do it. I can't, I can't see how they can possibly do it. Um, and this is currently, that would be the first race. I think that's everything else has been postponed or cancelled. That would be the first race. So. Um, as we stand at the moment, kind of being the first race, I don't think it can possibly be. And that's just because what I know about the logistics and the and the way that Formula One moves its garages and its people and its parts around the world. Um, because I don't know where those cars, sorry, not the cars, where those hospitality units and, and things are. They would normally have traveled. I think the process goes that they go from Australia to Canada. So we used to have at Lotus, we used to have three garage setups. So for garage and hospitality, it all looks the same when you arrive. And, and I, I don't know how many people know of, of you know what goes on in the paddock and stuff, but when you arrive at an F1 paddock, the garages all look exactly the same inside. The bits that you see when Ted Kravitz does his walk up and down the, the outside of the garage and inside the garage all looks very, very much the same. They've got a whole set of that for Europe. And they, we at Lotus used to have two sets that travelled around the world to go to other races. So those sets of um, and it, and you can't underestimate how much equipment there is in there. So it's all the stuff to do the pit stops. It's all the um, 
the LED screens that are in the garage. It's all the stuff to start the car. It's the the, the computers and the and the screens that the, the that everyone needs when they arrive. So all that equipment is usually on a boat somewhere between Australia and Canada. Well, I'm assuming that it either got quarantined in Australia or they brought it back to the UK. So for someone just to turn around and say, okay, yeah, we're now going to go with Canada. I don't think it's, well, it's not quite that easy. And and that's the bit that I can't, all I can, from, from my personal point of view, all I can see happening at the moment is it being a, a European season and possibly with some flyaways to Abu Dhabi, that kind of area at the very, very end of the year, if things sort themselves out. Anything more than that, I, I can't, there's no way they can do it. I can't see there's any way they can do it. Uh, but, you know, with the pressure to have a, a registered championship, as we were talking about with the sponsors, you know, if there is a, if, if the championship is null and void, they're going to lose significant money. If the contract says you've got to run eight races for this to be a valid season trumpets, they're going to run eight races, even if it's back to back. You know, there's some talk of Silverstone in the reverse layout, you know, can't all that kind that. of stuff. You can't, you can't do that. I, I, I work very closely with, um, I work with a track designer <laughs> okay. um, on 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 some projects. Which one? And Which one, Matthew? Moving on, he um, it's impossible to um, so runoffs and where um, grandstands are placed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it it you can't just run. It sounds very easy, and I'm sure you can do it on a computer game, but you can't just flip a, a circuit around. The FIA would need to approve and change, so it would be a huge investment to to make that happen. Yeah, I think it's it's really a thing where they will do what they can to get the eight races, but nobody knows if eight races is even going to be possible yet. And I think this is where we're all hung up because it's yeah, going to definitely. depend on what governments decide about what's safe and what's not safe and when it's safe and when it's not safe. And and so we're all just stuck in this loop and it just depends. It depends on things that we can't know or predict. Yeah, and it's really frustrating. Uh, but what I wanted to ask about, one of the proposals that has been circulating is the idea of doing a super season a la the WEC, what they did, what would have finished up this year, uh, but of course got canceled. Um, and, and how you would, what you think of that, how you would react to it. I'd, what's a, what's a WEC super season? I don't even know what that is. So, you mean where so they merge two years? It would be like a year and a half. Like once everything opens up, they would start and then they would roll that season into 21 to make a complete championship out of it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously feasible. Um, it, it just then falls back to the, but this, this kind of falls back to where I'm not necessarily sure that Liberty and their management and their ownership, and this again will wind up a lot of people. But I think if Bernie had been running Formula One, there would have been a lot more. Um, definite decisions would have been made, and they would, and, and I would be able to see that it would be a clearer way that he would force teams to do it. Uh, I think Liberty are trying to tr- trying to ask teams. Um, that being said, yeah, I mean, a, a, a super season or whatever you want to call it would make sense. You know, they've they've moved the regulation changes, so it kind of fits in with with all those things. Um, my personal opinion is that I think they will try and get their eight races done probably within Europe. Um, I'm probably done and it'll just be like a, a, a truncated season, which means that the teams are going to get truncated amount of TV money. Sponsors are probably going to pay 
truncated amounts of, of sponsorship and that's going to affect the teams and what the teams look like coming out the other side of this. Well, uh, for sure, nobody knows how this season is going to turn out. Uh, from a personal point of view, I'm answering questions from my kids. They're asking, you know, what are we going to be doing on my birthday? Uh, what is our summer going to look like? And I mean, the advice I give on a personal level in my family is stop looking so far ahead because the situation is changing so quickly. You you just don't know what's going to happen. Things could turn around and find positive routes to make things more feasible as quickly as everything became impossible. On the other hand, we could be settling in for a longer period of things being disrupted than we could have ever imagined or feared. The range is that big, and I find it very hard to do anything but focus on the immediate future at the moment. Um, and uh, and as Mr. Carter says, we are wildly speculating about what we might th- uh, about what we think might about what we think might happen. But thank you for joining us in the shed. Thank you for keeping on downloading Mr. Apex podcast. I assumed that we would lose a lot of patrons when the F1 calendar got cut off. We haven't. We've lost like five, uh, which is really heartening. And we've gained a few new patrons and friends in our patron Slack group. So thank you very much to everybody who signed on uh, to support us on patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. And thank you for the many, many, and I'm not lying. I think, you know, people have got time because they're at home. The many, many emails that we've received from people urging us to continue putting out this content, even though there's no races, even though there hasn't been a race for six months, there's still people emailing me, spannersready at gmail.com, to tell us that Miss Apex is still a part of their lives. And I pass on all those emails to the crew. So thank you very much. You are literally keeping us going. And I don't think we're going to run out of ideas for a little while. I'm sure Mr. Carter will join us again in the shed during the lockdown yeah, no, i was i was i was gonna say i, I was gonna say this to you before we started this but I've, I've, there's still if anyone's interested i've still got tons of stories about when i first took over and uh arriving at australia and breaking the curfew for the team and uh you know not paying and not having pirelli tires at races and all the things that happened during my period so if if people are interested happy to talk about it honestly uh, uh, mr carter i even though we've chatted many times and got loads of those stories i i already had uh more questions lined up that we haven't had a chance to get to trumpets the show notes are burgeoning uh, and they will certainly still be there the next the time manner stuff was interesting as i said yes. when i was listening to you talking to Gemma the other day i don't think she was there when i was there but i wished she had have been because I was telling everyone that was listening that they were going to get made redundant if uh, if the guy that owned it didn't change the way he was doing things, and that was why I walked away. And uh, oh, okay, that was. Uh, I mean, there's a whole. There's probably an hour's worth of content in that alone. Because I think so. It was a, that was a crazy. That was a crazy time. I mean, the guy that that, that guy that uh, Stephen Fitzpatrick that bought Manor, um, he was a fan. The wrong side of the uh, the wrong side of the the. Um, the catch fence in Singapore and he looked over and he said to his friend, I want to buy an F1 team one day. And, uh, two years later he bought Manor and, uh, with no money. And, uh, anyway, whatever. I'm laughing. Many more conversations. I'm thinking of Tony Fernandez in Caterham, but for no particular reason at all. We'll and get a great it. meeting with him, with Tony Fernandez at his house yeah. in London, because we were going to merge. We were going to merge Caterham and Lotus. Caterham were going to be our B team. And uh, and who was the team principal of Caterham at the time? 
our best friend, Cyril. Cyril. Save yes, it, Matt. the first time I met him. Matt, take a note of it in the show notes. We will catch up with, with Matthew in a, in a few weeks or whenever we can next wrangle him, wrangle him away. I'm sure he'll need lots of convincing to take a break from looking after I'll try and sort my internet. I'll try and sort baby. my Wi-Fi issues. I'm sure we'll get it all sorted, guys. Thank you very much for staying with Missed Apex Podcast. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex uh, to support us at Missed Apex F1 on Twitter. Matt is at MattPT55. I am at Spanners Ready. Uh, Matt, your your wife's book, do you want to give that a quick plug? Ooh, you know what? I've had so much whiskey, I can't remember the latest one she's <laughs> released. It's, all right, so let me think about this. Um, there's The One I Love to Hate, and that's because we talked about it on the podcast. Have you read The One I Love to Hate? Uh, which podcast? The Remain Indoors podcast. Subscribe now on your podcatcher of choice. I just saw, I just saw in the in the chat as well, someone saying that I should, uh, we should have a, me and um, and Joe on the on the podcast, and uh, so I've d- I did one of Joe's, um, what does he call his talk? An thing? audience with Joe. An audience with Joe. Which, I did one of those, which I will say will be available in a Zoom conference format coming soon to anybody who would like to to have an audience with Joe over Zoom. Email me spanners ready at gmail.com with the the tagline, what do you call it? The subject line, Joe, and I will reply to you with all the details of that. Good segue. I forgot about that. So I did, I, I, he asked me to attend one of his in Montreal and I went and tried to sit the back of the room and uh, keep quiet and he pulled me up on the stage and um, we had a good two hours of, uh, of, of chatting. So if you want to get, I mean, I'm sure he'll be up for it, but by all means run it by him first. No, I have. I've all, I, yeah. I did already mention it to him and he was bang up for that. So essentially yeah, I'll yeah, get you I'm, two I'm on and I will hit record yeah. and I will shut up. Well, no, you don't have to do that. You need to, you need to moderate and, and uh, keep us under control, but uh, yeah, I can get a, I can get a glass of wine and uh, I'm sure Joe will do the same. We can sit down and have a, have a chat if this thing carries on for, for much longer. And it might. Uh, you can join us next on the on the internet by looking for Mist Apex Motorsport on YouTube and watching us racing on a 40-car grid Formula Renault 2.0s. It is going to be absolute carnage. No one knows how to drive that car except five really good guys up at the front, and that's where most of the broadcast will be. But me and Matt will be bombing around the back in our liveries as well. So come and join us there. Uh, subscribe to Mist Apex Motorsport. And we'll also be here next Sunday where we will have a video man, Steve Amy, and a former journalist and current PR man, Chris Stevens, joining us. Uh, wherever we see you next, be it on the racing, be it on the Remain Indoors podcast, or be it right here on Missed Apex, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.